0: Amen. So, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers today. Hope you have a great day. We're starting a new series this morning in the book of 2 Timothy. So, if you'd like to follow along, 2 Timothy this morning. Chapter 1. Saving some announcements for the end of the service, but I did want to again... Uh, just share with you all to not only be in prayer, but to encourage any of you that can come out Tuesday night to our Bible study as we're studying through 2 Corinthians, specifically this Tuesday, we are dealing with what happens to us when we die, and many Christians even have questions about what does the Bible teach us about death, and obviously God doesn't answer all of our questions about what happens to us and about heaven but he does give us quite a lot of information about heaven and about death and we're going to be looking at one of the most definitive passages on that subject in all of scripture second corinthians chapter five in fact it's a passage that i use many times when i speak at funeral services or memorial services so if you know of somebody that you think would be encouraged by that subject as far as learning a little bit more and, and seeing the encouragement from God about that subject, please invite them to come with you 7 o'clock Tuesday night right over here in the cafeteria. Second Timothy, a great, great book written by the Apostle Paul to his child in the faith, Timothy. I want to, as we begin this study, sort of give a little bit of an overview of why I think this study of Second Timothy is, is going to be relevant. It's going to resonate with us. And I, I hope that it's uh, an introduction, if you will, to this series that might go, wow, I, I want to hear the rest of that. I, I want to be there for the whole you know, two-month-long time we're in Second Timothy. First of all, 2 Timothy provides us an example of someone who finished the Christian life well. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, I competed well. I finished the race. I kept the faith. So 2 Timothy provides us an example of a Christian who finished his Christian life well now let's remember something though we're talking about Paul who was at one time Saul Saul didn't start off well did he in his life I mean Saul was according to the scriptures maybe the chief persecutor ever of the church he would throw Christians in prison he would Get them murdered for their faith. So here's an encouragement even. That many times we don't start off in life or even our Christian life very well. But as I've tried to encourage Christians over the years, it's not how we start that's as important as how we finish. And Paul is going to share with us in 2 Timothy... How you and I can finish well. How we can say at the end of our life, like Paul, I competed well. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And you may be here this morning and going, you know, things aren't going really well for me right now. Okay. But just by the mere fact that you're here, God is giving you and gives us, gives me opportunities to change those things so that we can finish well, even though we may not have started off very well, or maybe we're in a good place now. So Paul wants to share that with us through this great letter. Another thing about 2 Timothy, it furnishes us a power, powerful perspective on the Christian life and ministry. Why do I say that? Well, Paul knows. And I think part of it is he knows just from what he's seeing around him humanly. And I believe that Paul, like many Christians, has, get, has received some sort of spiritual insight, if you will, that it's the end for him. That this is the end of his life. Even though he's been in prison before, he's not going to get out of prison this time. This time, he's finally going to give his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And as he's writing this last letter, obviously, this is a very powerful and personal and emotional letter from Paul to Timothy. Because I think in his own mind, he knows that these are the last words that he's probably ever going to share. With Timothy, and that these could be his last words, period. He knows his death is imminent. And as he writes this, he's writing this from a Roman Mamertine prison, which simply means it was a basically underground dungeon that had maybe a crack of light in it enough for Paul to be able to scratch out very, with much difficulty, the words that he's writing. And while he's there, he's in a damp, dank prison. He is chained around the clock to different Roman guards who have the unfortunate, I guess you would, assignment of every so many hours going in and being chained to this Apostle Paul while he's in this dark, damp prison. And yet, listen to his words in verse 3. After the greeting, he says, I am thankful to God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. Wait a minute. You're thankful? You're you're thankful. By the way, this word literally means in the Greek language, having grace. In other words, as God gives us grace, it should elicit in us an attitude of gratitude. When we experience God's grace, it should bring forth the fruit of gratefulness. And Paul is simply saying at the end of his life, I am a recipient of God's grace, therefore I will be grateful. And notice at the end of his life, this is why this is so powerful. At the end of his life, after he's given his all for Jesus Christ, he has no regrets. He's not sitting there at the end of his life going, you know, Timothy, if I were you, I, I wouldn't give my all for Jesus. All the stuff that I've been through, it, it's really not worth it. I, I really regret putting Jesus Christ first in my life and going through all that I went through for the cause of Christ. No. There's absolutely none of that. That's why this is so powerful. Because this is coming to us from someone who, in a sense, is getting ready to cross the finish line. You and I are somewhere along that route. But we've obviously not finished yet. And yet up ahead, we can see from Paul's own words, he's getting ready to cross the finish line. And he's saying, guys, back here, who have yet to cross, it's all worth it. Even everything I've went through. Even though I'm here in prison, knowing that I'm going to die under the Roman Emperor Nero for the cause of Jesus Christ, I am thankful to God that I can serve. I have no regrets that I gave my all for Jesus Christ. I have no regrets about all that I went through personally in order to bring the gospel to more people. Paul says just the opposite. I am thankful. And if we want to learn as Christians how to end the Christian life well and cross that finish line well, then 2 Timothy is a book that we need to pay attention to. 2 Timothy also reveals the blessings that result when one launches out with God. Let me repeat that. 2 Timothy reveals the blessings that result when one launches out with God. Why do I say that? Well, I'm just going to give you one example, but it's a powerful one. This young man that Paul writes to, this Timothy, Paul would have never known Timothy had Paul not launched out on those missionary journeys. We believe that Paul led Timothy to the Lord on his first missionary journey in a place called Lystra. That's where God brought Paul and Timothy together. And notice what Paul thinks of Timothy. Notice in verse two, he says to Timothy, my dear child, the words dear child mean highly valued and precious. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I have grown to see how much I value you and our relationship. I have grown over the years to see how precious you are to me. Notice in verse four. Paul says, as I remember your tears, the strong emotions that these two shared because of their relationship, Paul says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. The words long to see mean to yearn, to have a great affection for. We begin to see how much Paul thought of Timothy. And the point here is again, just using one example, though it's powerful. That Paul is in his own life saying, had I never went on that missionary journey, had I never been willing to launch out into the unknown with God, I'd have never met Timothy. He would have never come into my life. We would have never gotten together. And therefore, look at what I would have missed in my life by not having this relationship into my life because I wasn't willing to launch out with God. I think about that in my own life all the time. I'm reminded how our family launched out into the unknown with God nine years ago and came all the way across country from upstate New York to Phoenix, Arizona, only knowing one family out here. And yet I think now after nine years, how my life has been enriched by you all and how I couldn't. I couldn't see my life without you all in it. I think about even how that's changed for my own children. How Beth and obviously her whole family, we would have never known Santiago and his family. How my son would have never met Amanda and we would have known the Hadley family. How we all know each other And how that would have never happened had we not launched out. Same thing with starting the church. Because some of you did not even know us before you came to the Oasis. You had no previous history with us. And so God reminds me of that all the time. Though there are times where we're scared to launch out into the unknown. Though obviously on a human level... We can be afraid and there can be all kinds of anxiety. And we're going to talk about that. Paul, by his own life, says, guys, if God is leading you into the unknown, then go. Go. Because if God is leading you there, there are going to be people there and blessings there that you would never experience had you not been willing to launch out with God into the unknown. That's what Second Timothy provides for us. And then, 2 Timothy supplies us a model of encouragement and a pattern for mentoring. A model of encouragement. If you want to learn as a Christian how to encourage other Christians, then get familiar with 2 Timothy. And remember that encouragement doesn't mean that you go around telling people it'll be all right when it's not all right necessarily. The word encourage literally means to put courage into. It means to be able to come alongside. And even if circumstances don't change, that God can use us to sort of build courage into other people's lives to face what they need to face or have to face. That's what true encouragement is. And if we want to learn to be model encouragers, then get familiar with 2 Timothy. And mentoring. You want to learn as a Christian how to mentor other Christians? Get familiar with 2 Timothy. Oh, and here's another thing. If you were offered as a Christian to say today somehow that you could take a several-month course from the Apostle Paul himself, that, that you could be mentored by the Apostle Paul, Would you sign up for that course? Would you take advantage of that opportunity if you knew that you could sit down with the Apostle Paul himself and let him mentor you as a Christian? Well, guess what? That's exactly what 2 Timothy is. It's like you and I, when we read and study 2 Timothy, are actually being mentored by Paul himself. Because these words aren't obviously just for Timothy. The reason why God included the book into the Word of God was because everything that Paul shared with Timothy also can be applied to our lives as well. So I hope you'll join me in this journey. I hope you'll stay with me over these next couple of months because I think we've got an exciting journey ahead as you and I literally can sit in the classroom, if you will, having the Apostle Paul himself mentor us in the Christian life. See, one of the first things that Paul shares with us in this book is he's arming us, not just Timothy, with reasons for being encouraged and strengthened in our Christian life. We all need to be encouraged. As I've shared before, I've never met a human being, Christian or not, who came up to me and said, Jeff, you, you, you can quit encouraging me. I, I don't need any more encouragement. I'm good to go for the rest of my life. You ever met anybody like that? I've never met anybody like that. We all need continual encouragement. We all need to be continually strengthened. And so Paul dives in wanting to arm his friend with some encouragement and strength. And the reason behind it is, is this Timothy. He had a tough assignment. He became the pastor of a church in Ephesus that was... It was tough. And Timothy was about ready to wave the white flag and throw in the towel. And so the last letter that Paul writes before he dies, he wants to encourage his friend to hang in there and not quit. Notice how he starts this out. He says, "This is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to further the promise of life in Christ." Jesus. The first thing that Paul says in this great letter to Timothy that should be a reason for encouragement and strength in Timothy's life is this. He is reminding Timothy of something we all need to be reminded of. The best life we could ever experience is found in surrender to Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. The best life you and I could ever experience is found in surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what the phrase, the promise of life in Christ Jesus means. First of all, let's break it down. Let's start with promise. Paul is saying God obligated, he bound himself. He made a promise to all human beings that if you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ and follow him, you will experience life. And this word for life isn't just to physically exist, to endure life, just to get by. It is to be able to experience a quality of life at the highest level. It is to be able to live the very best life. It's what Jesus called when he told his disciples, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I know it's hard right now. But you've got to continue to surrender every day, even as a Christian, to Jesus and to his will for your life because it's the best life. It may not be the easiest life, but it is the absolute best life. Can people exist without Jesus Christ? Well, technically, yeah. I mean, it's only because of Christ that they are able to exist. But you understand, even without faith, yeah, they're existing, their hearts beating, they're moving through life even if they don't even acknowledge Jesus Christ. And and to some degree, they can even enjoy some aspects of life. But they will never no human being will ever be able to experience the highest quality, best abundant life that God really wants us to experience if we're not willing to surrender To Jesus Christ. And Paul says. You realize God obligated himself to that. He bound himself. He made a promise. So that just like with Paul. Paul could not in a sense surrender his life to Jesus Christ. And then get to the end of his life and go well God. I got ripped off. I gave you everything. I surrendered my all. I I didn't hold back anything. I was fully committed. And I feel like I got ripped off. I, I don't feel like I was really able to enjoy that life. Now, that goes back to that second point I made, that Second Timothy is a powerful perspective on the Christian life in ministry because it's just the opposite. Paul's at the end of his life, after having surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, and he says, "Guys, I'm thankful. I have lived a blessed life because I just surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and I was able to experience a life that can only come from that. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 2 to Timothy, my dear child, grace, mercy, and peace from you, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm thankful to God, verse 3, whom I have served with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. When I remember you in my prayers, as I constantly, night and day, I remember your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am sure is in you. The first reason that Paul gives in this letter to try to encourage Timothy and strengthen him as well as us is that the best life is found in surrender to Jesus Christ. The second thing that he wants to encourage Timothy with and try to strengthen him is to remind him of all the people in his life who've invested or are investing in him presently. And Paul, right now, shares with Timothy three people that he knows are important to Timothy. First of all, he shares himself. He's reminding Timothy, Timothy. You know how I invested in your life. You know how I'm investing in your life now. I can't stop thinking about you, Timothy. You are in all my prayers. I'm praying for you day and night. I can't, I I long to see you. I, I hope that God allows me to see you one more time before I pass from this earth to heaven. And I think he's reminding Timothy about their relationship and all that they've shared over the years the good times, the bad times, but they were in it together. And Paul says, Don't forget the investment that others have made and are making in your life. You and I aren't where we are by ourselves. Even though people throughout our society and throughout history, have called themselves self-made people or self-made men, there is no human being, no human being that gets to any place in life on our own. We get there and hopefully get to good places in our life through the help and investment and encouragement and strength of other people. And Paul's saying, Timothy, if you don't hang in there for yourself, hang in there for others who have poured their life into you, who have shared their faith, who have shared with you faith. Because you're not where you are, Timothy, without others who've invested. And then notice, he mentions Timothy's grandmother and mother. He says, Timothy, you realize that you were given a great treasure of a great spiritual foundation We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, did Timothy not have a father? Did Timothy not have a believing or Christian father? We don't know for sure. But we do know for sure this, that whatever influence or lack of influence there was as far as a father goes, that Timothy had an unbelievably spiritually sound grandmother and mother. And all through Timothy's life, his childhood, they were laying a strong foundation. That's what Paul says in verse 4. I remember the sincere faith that was alive in your grandmother and in your mother. A living faith. An active, energetic, passionate faith. Paul says, That's part of the reason, Timothy, why you're where you are. Now, I want to encourage you parents, especially you moms out there. Did you notice something already? Did you note that even though they spent all those years laying the foundation, that they weren't the ones that actually led Timothy to the Lord? It was Paul. You know, sometimes as parents we don't get that opportunity or privilege to actually personally lead our children to the Lord. If it happens, great. But take courage that just because you didn't personally lead your child to the Lord, that makes no less the investment that you've made in order to bring that about when someone else does come into their life any less important. You see, in a sense, Paul's acknowledging, even here, that he probably wouldn't have had the opportunity in Timothy's life to actually lead him to the Lord on his first journey into Lystra had it not been for the foundation that was laid by his grandmother and his mother. So parents and moms, especially on Mother's Day, don't ever discount the seeds that you are sowing. The foundation... That you are laying in that home with your children. One day you may not actually be the one to lead your children to the Lord. But what you are doing is just as vital and just as important. In fact, that's biblical. Paul even said. I planted. Apollos watered. It was God who gave the increase. And the one who plants and the one who waters are equally important. Not all of you may actually lead somebody to the Lord, but you may be a seed sower so that later on down the road, because of the seeds that you sowed in that person's life, some other Christian can come along and actually lead them to the Lord. Do you realize that the Bible says that you will be rewarded equally with the person who actually led them to the Lord? See, we think, oh, I didn't actually lead that person to the Lord, so I guess the person who actually led them to the Lord or led them in a prayer or whatever, they're the ones that's going to get rewarded. Well, they will, but so will every Christian who's made some kind of investment or sown some kind of seed into that person's life. And that's what Paul's saying about Timothy's grandmother and mother. And he's reminding Timothy, Timothy, stay strong. I know what's hard. Hang in there. The best life is found in surrender to Jesus Christ. And don't ever forget when it gets really hard about the people who love you and are behind you and who have your back and who are supporting you and who are praying for you and who have done so for years. Don't forget about them either. You're not just in this, Timothy, for you. You're in this for them too. And then Paul says in verse six, because of this, I remind you to rekindle God's gift that you possess through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The third reason that Paul gives to Timothy to be encouraged and strengthened is this. There is nothing lacking in Timothy. There is no deficiency in Timothy, just like there's nothing lacking in our Christian life. There's nothing that we're deficient in. The only thing that we may be deficient in or lacking in as a Christian at times is our own commitment. But that's something that you and I can control. We always fret about the things we can't control. Paul is reminding us and Timothy, you realize, Timothy, the one thing you can control, your Christian commitment, that's that's up to you. But there's nothing lacking. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I'm reminding you to rekindle God's gift that you already possess. Paul's saying, Timothy, you've been given a great gift. Now, many interpret this as sort of a spiritual gift. And that certainly isn't wrong necessarily, but I think the best way to interpret this gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The ultimate gift that all other, if you will, gifts flow from. And in when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, He is pictured in many ways throughout the Bible. And one way is by fire. He is literally, as the third person of the Trinity, sort of our spiritual fire that is placed within us. And so notice what Paul says to Timothy. He doesn't say, Timothy, if you're going to make it to the finish line and be successful like me and finish well, here's what you got to add. Here's what you've got to experience. you got to have a new experience, Timothy. Timothy, you've got to do that. No. All he says is rekindle the gift that you already possess. Paul's saying, Timothy, you got everything you need because you've got the Holy Spirit. And you've got then everything out of the Holy Spirit from that who indwells you. You don't need anything. You don't need to add anything. You're not deficient or lacking anything. Christians, we need to hear that today. Because there's so many Christians that spend their whole Christian life trying to run around, trying to find something that they already don't have. And Paul's reminding us, each of us as a Christian has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us 24-7. And because we've got God inside of us, we lack nothing. We are complete. What we have to do, and what he's reminding Timothy is, to rekindle God's gift. The word rekindle means to keep in full flame. To stir up the fire. To add fresh fuel. In other words, Timothy or Paul pictures our Christian life as this spiritual fire, if you will, inside, internally. That's put there by the Holy Spirit. And you and I have the responsibility to control that spiritual fire. We can't put the fire in us. That comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But by our lack of commitment, that fire can begin to go out. That fire can begin to dwindle. And so Paul is simply saying, Timothy, this should encourage you. You don't need anything else. You just need to stir up the flame that spiritual flame that you've already got inside of you. And you can control that, Timothy. That's that's up to you. Add some fresh fuel to the fire, Timothy. And I'm telling you, that flame's going to burn hot and bright once again in your life. And then Paul goes on to say, because God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. We live in a world of fear today. We live in a world of anxiety. And Paul's saying, Timothy, all that fear about what's unknown and what you're going to face there in Ephesus as the pastor and all of it. If it's fear, that doesn't come from God. Your timidity, your lack of courage and confidence and your lack of resolve, that doesn't come from God. God. That comes from getting our eyes off of God and onto our circumstances or onto ourselves. See, that's when you and I as Christians like Timothy can begin to fear. Whenever whatever we're involved with or whatever we're facing, instead of keeping our eyes fixed on God, who is all sufficient and can get us through anything and can handle anything, we begin to get our eyes on us maybe and go, wow, I'm lacking. And yeah, we are. And that can make us afraid. When we begin to look at ourselves and our deficiencies, or we begin to look at the circumstances around us, and it begins to get bigger than our view of God. We see this throughout the Bible. Think in the Old Testament about the story when they sent the spies into the land, and they came back with the report. Even though God said, I know it's the unknown. I know on a human level that there's some... Fear and trepidation there. But I'm going to be with you. And you're going to have to fight. But I'll be with you to help you overcome anything. And what did they come back with? A report that there's giants in the land. Even though it's the land God promised, we can't go in and take that land. Because there's giants in there. They got their eyes off of God and began to fear because they put their eyes on what was opposing them. Or what was in their way or their circumstance. Then you think about Peter walking on the water. He was able to walk on water until he got his eyes off of Christ and got them on the waves. And maybe even started to think, I can't walk on water. That's when he began to sing. See, fear doesn't come from God. Our timidity, our lack of courage and confidence and resolve in our life, that never comes from God. That comes from within us. When we get our eyes off God and we get them on to us or our circumstance. And then Paul goes on to say, here's what God does give us. He gives us power, love, and self-control. So the final thing that Paul says that we're going to look at today is this. Not only is the best life found in surrender to Jesus Christ, not only does Paul wants Timothy to be encouraged and strengthened by all the people who have invested or are investing in his life. Not only does Paul want Timothy to be encouraged by the fact that there's nothing lacking or deficient in him, he simply has to rekindle what he already has. The final thing he says is, don't ever forget Timothy. God and his resources are sufficient. God and his resources are sufficient in your life. Even though it doesn't say it in the English translation. When Paul says God has given us power, love, and sound, or mind, or self-control, it's supernatural. And that word supernatural needs to be placed before each one of those. In other words, what Paul is saying is, God never gives us fear, but what he does give us is supernatural power, supernatural love, and supernatural self-control. Timothy, you can handle anything if you just rely on God and the resources that he supplies. And in order to maybe even make this ring true in your life, maybe even a little bit more, here's how I personally translate the word power, love, and self-control. As I've studied these Greek words, the word power can mean supernatural ability. So anytime that you and I are faced with a situation in life where we go, I don't have the ability for that. Remember, it's not about our ability. It's about our availability. All we have to do is make ourselves available to follow God. And God takes care of the ability he gives us through the indwelling Holy Spirit, supernatural, beyond our own power and ability to be able to accomplish things in our life. See, that's what Paul wants to remind Timothy of. You only have so much human power within you. Eventually, you're going to get to the place, Timothy, where what you have to deal with and what you have to face is going to be beyond your power to do. That's why we need God. Because at the end of our power, There's God's supernatural power. And nothing is greater than that. Than love. The word love here can be translated a supernatural attitude. Not just ability, power, but a supernatural attitude. Because biblical love, the word that's used here, agape, is a love of choice and constancy. And what Paul is saying by using this word is, we can have a supernatural attitude every day that we live and face the day because of God's love in our life. He poured his love into us, Paul said in the book of Romans, through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And it's not our aptitude It's our attitude that determines our altitude. Every day, you and I have a choice of what our attitude is going to be as we face the day. And if we're facing life on our own, pretty soon our attitude is going to go south real quick. But Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you don't have to face the day with just your attitude You can let God pour into your life his supernatural attitude to be able to face the day with. That's the whole reason why Paul, even in prison, as he was facing death, could say something like, I thank God whom I serve. And then finally, self-control. That word can also be translated awareness. So that God can give us not only a supernatural ability, supernatural attitude, but a supernatural awareness in our life. Because you see, the word self-control implies that there's a consciousness that's there to be able to balance priorities and balance life and and to know what's going on. Self-conscious, we could even say is part of that. And that's what Paul's saying. God can give us that absolute awareness beyond ourselves of knowing what's going on in our lives and what's going on around us. And all these things, along with God himself, he does. So that you and I are never lacking or deficient in anything. So that we never need to fear. So Paul's basically starting out this letter He knows where Timothy's at. And just like all of us, we can all get discouraged. We can all get beat down. And one of the things that we need every once in a while is somebody like a Paul coming into our life, giving us encouragement and strength, reminding us of the things that Paul reminded Timothy of here. So guys, I'm excited to go on this journey of 2 Timothy. I think it's going to be a great journey. I hope you will allow Paul to mentor you over these next few weeks and let Paul and the words that he says to Timothy encourage and strengthen you as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for using Paul and using Timothy. Using their relationship, using their dynamic in order to benefit us thousands of years later. God, I pray that we will sit under the Apostle Paul as our mentor. That we will allow him to instruct and encourage and strengthen us over these next couple of weeks that we will take what He says to heart. Because here's a Christian who finished well. Here's a Christian who said at the end of his life of sacrifice and service for Jesus Christ that he was so glad that he held nothing back and that he just surrendered all to Christ. Here's a Christian who who's in such a good place that he wants to use his life now to encourage someone who needs encouragement. And even in their relationship with each other, Paul and Timothy are showing us what our relationships with our Christian brothers and sisters should be. It should be these kind of relationships. So God used this in our church, used this in our individual lives in a powerful way,